So if we think about where we have been uh, halfway through chapter 13 and then the last couple weeks in chapter 14, remember this question that was posed to Jesus was, will those who are saved be few? And so Jesus, I think, is still, in a sense, answering that question for us in the way that Luke has provided this information for us in these parables that we even have this morning. Will those who are saved be few? And part of that answer that Jesus has been given already, um, that he's already given and that he continues to give, is that those who are saved are not exactly who we think. Sometimes the, the premise of the question is not the right one. And Jesus wants to reorient who it is that is saved and who it is that supposes their salvation but may be missing the point. And so when we come to Luke chapter 15, we have three parables, and each of these parables I think can teach us something, but overall when we take it as an entire chapter and um, as putting these parables together, it'll help us to see, and what we talked about last week, who is going to be at the banquet. And we have a hanging question at the end of chapter 15 when it says, um, when it talks about our invitation to the banquet, which we talked about last week. So let's read together. We're going to read all of Luke chapter 15, and we'll come back and talk about it. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So here we have the three parables of Luke chapter 15. Now let's go back and start with our introduction to the parables in verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Now this is important. And again, the one thing really of this entire chapter that I want us to understand is that this is written in context. And so when it says that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, you should just look back at the end of chapter 14 and note that Jesus has just mentioned, those who, has, those who have ears to hear, let him hear. I'll read verses 34 and 35 of chapter 14. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus says this, Luke records it for us, and then immediately, who is it that has ears to hear? Well, it's the tax collectors and sinners. Those are the ones who are drawing near to hear Jesus. They're the ones who want to know what it is that all of these things mean. They want to hear Jesus' teaching. They want to sit at his feet. They want to serve him. They want to understand what salvation is. So we have the tax collectors and the sinners. And then we have the Pharisees there in verse 2 in chapter 15. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now the Pharisees and the scribes, again, just looking back at the picture of the salt. If salt has lost its taste, again, we said this last week, but maybe this salt is in reference to Israel. It's in reference to God's people. It's in reference to the people that God has revealed himself to. And will they continue to be salt in the earth so that what God has shown to them, they would show to other people? But initially, the problem is they're grumbling. And they don't like the fact that they're not the ones who are most important. They're, they don't like the fact that 
Jesus is spending all this time with all the other people who they deem less worthy than themselves. Their pride, again, is getting in the way of what Jesus is doing right in front of their face. And so, verse 3 says, He told them this parable. Who is Jesus telling this parable to? This parable is not to the tax collectors and sinners. This parable is to the Pharisees and the scribes. And all of these three parables are for the Pharisees and the scribes. This is important for us to understand when we look at these parables, and especially the parable that is usually described as the parable of the prodigal son, because even though it is such a great story about a son who left and then came back, the story is not about the son who left and then came back. The story is about the gracious father, and the story ends with what will happen with the older brother whom the gracious father is entreating to come celebrate that this lost son has been found. Now, I just gave you, gave it away what's going to happen here, but let's go through these three parables and see some details in each of them that Jesus gives that Luke presents to us so that we might well understand what Luke and what Jesus are trying to tell us. So he tells them this parable. Pick it up in verse 4. The lost sheep. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, and go after the one that is lost, until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So Jesus gives us this parable. And it's a great parable. Many pictures, drawings, sculptures have been made of this parable. It's a great picture. Notice in Verses 5 and 6, there's much rejoicing. And when he has found it, verse 5 says, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me. And then in verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven. What happens whenever a sinner repents? Well, all of heaven, God himself rejoices. There's joy. There should be joy whenever someone who has repented, and, and notice how what Jesus does here. He goes from talking about a sheep to talking about sinners who repent, and he contrasts sinners who repent with righteous people who don't think they need to repent. Again, this parable is not for the lost and the dying necessarily. This parable primarily is for the righteous people who don't think they need to repent. It's for the Pharisees and the scribes who think of themselves as righteous, who think of themselves as we're good with God and we're prime examples of who God's people are. We're the best. We're doing all the right things. And so they see themselves as above everybody else. Their pride grows day by day, year after year. 
They're the most important people. They're the best people. They're the cream of the crop religiously. But the problem is, Jesus, Jesus comes to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus says that there's rejoicing when people repent. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, Jesus has said earlier in our gospel. And so, we should rejoice, but do we? Heaven rejoices with the few who do repent. Do we rejoice? And do we recognize our own need for repentance? The next parable, verses 8 through 10, the lost coin. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, if you haven't noticed yet, time and again, Luke likes to have his parables and couples, his stories and couples. And oftentimes, these couples will be represented by a man and a woman. And we have that again here, where in verse 4 it says, What man of you having a hundred sheep? And then it says in verse 8, Or what woman having ten silver coins? This is one way, again, that Luke is trying to include all people in the invitation, in the knowledge that Christ has come to save all, that he cares about all, men, women, the poor, tax collectors, sinners, but he also cares about the Pharisees and scribes. Jesus wouldn't be giving us these parables if he weren't himself trying to get them to understand God's perspective. And from that, what perspective can we have? Verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Yes, the angels rejoice. Look back in verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven. I mean, you can look at it as the general consensus of heaven. You can look at it as specifically the angels in heaven, the angels of God. Or you can just simply see it as God. God himself rejoices. There is joy in God's heart when people come to their senses and repent. God loves this. And one interesting thing that we see in both of these first two parables is that other people are invited to rejoice. So it's not just heaven, but it's the people in the here and now, people on earth. Verse 9, And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors. She is saying, Look at what has happened. Look at what is going on. Look at the beautiful thing that is being realized here. Something that has been lost now is found. And you should rejoice with us. We invite you to rejoice with us that this lost thing has been found. The same thing in verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me. There is this constant invitation that we have to join in being 
joyful over the things that God rejoices over. There is this invitation that is happening. Last week, there was this invitation that happened where Jesus had invited, God had invited all these people to his banquet. And yet when the time came for the banquet, what happened? The people said, I'm too busy. They had excuses. They said, no, thank you. But there was this invitation, and so God invited others to be a part of the feast. Now let's get to really what gives us the the best picture of what Jesus is trying to get us to understand in our last parable. The parable that usually, as I said before, is described as the prodigal son. But this is more than just the parable of the prodigal son. Really, the story is not about the prodigal son. Yes, we can extrapolate it out, we can isolate it, and we can say, look at how good and gracious a father God is to receive back this son who squandered all of his living and all of his opportunity and his life away, and yet came back when he came to his senses. Yes, that is great. Yes, we can talk about how wonderful it is when we come to our senses and we repent. But the question for us, and maybe especially for us, us people who are church people, us people who have been around God for a while, the question is, how are we responding? How are we acting in the first place when it comes to other people receiving grace and forgiveness? Are we desiring that other people are being given the opportunity and the invitation to be shown this grace and forgiveness? Let's look through this parable. Verse 11, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So the first thing I want us to see is that Not only did the younger son get his share of the property, but also the older son got his share. He divided his property between them, and the inference is that both sons actually got their property. They gained control over what was coming to them. Note what is not said is that the older son didn't do anything to try and stop the younger son. We don't even have the picture of that. The older son, at this point, is not really even in the picture because he's not vocal. He, he's fine, it seems, with getting his share at this moment. Verse 13, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So, not a very good picture of the younger son. He wastes all that he has. The property, the belongings, it seems like what has happened is the younger son has liquidated them. He's turned them all into cash and he's taken his cash with him and he's left this relationship. He basically has said, when he comes to his father in the first place, he says, Father, I don't care that you're still alive. I wish that you were dead so that I can go ahead and get what's coming to me. I can get my inheritance. Most people don't get their inheritance until after their parents are dead. And so what this younger son says is, I wish you were dead, so give me my stuff. And the father says, fine, 
have your stuff. But the father's still living. And so what the younger son also is saying is, I don't care about this relationship. I don't care about us being a family. I don't care about you being my father. I mean, there is basically no worse a thing that could happen for this younger son to be able to say to his father than that. I mean, so we really should, in a sense, look upon this younger son as having been the worst of sinners, of having chosen the worst of paths. This is really bad. And then in verse 14, we see that the younger son is a doofus because he spends everything. When he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So the younger son says, I can take care of myself. Give me all that I want. Give me all that's coming to me. And then he wastes it all away. And then he becomes in trouble. And so what he does, verse 15, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And so just just in case, when Jesus gives this parable to the Pharisees and the scribes, just in case we're not sure how serious of an issue this is or how bad this guy has got it now, this younger son, Jesus is speaking to Jews, and Jews did not associate with pigs. Pigs were unclean. And so this younger son has found himself now in the absolute worst of positions. He should be looked down upon as the scum of these people. When the Pharisees and the scribes are hearing this so far to this point, they're saying, man, this guy is the worst. You can't get in any worse of a position. You wish that you could eat the food that the pigs are eating, and you shouldn't even be anywhere around pigs. This younger son has wasted away all of the opportunity and the abilities that he has been given by God, and he has chosen the path that no one should choose. And so he deserves what he is getting right now. This is probably the attitude that the Pharisees and the scribes have And so what's amazing is this transformation in the heart of this younger son. And then how people respond to the repentance that the younger son shows. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, that's an interesting way to describe repentance, since at least... Luke chapter 3, we have talked about repentance again and again and again. It is a constant refrain for Jesus, for Luke, for God, when he's seeking after his people. Will his people repent? Will they recognize that they have been doing something wrong and that something needs to change? Will they realize that they have been wrong and that they need to change? When he came to himself, when he came back to his senses, when he repented, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So what he says is, I realize I don't deserve any good thing from you. I've taken all that 
you offered to me in the first place, and I wasted it away. This life, this breath, this ability to serve and worship and honor our Heavenly Father, we have squandered away. But in repentance, we say, I realize I've done wrong. I realize I've, I've not done what I should have done. I realize I've not been who I should have been. I've, I've wasted away all of these things. I'm not worthy even to be called your son. I have no ground to stand on is what this lost son says. This is what repentance is. I mean, I think that's why Jesus gives this parable and why this parable has so much information in it because we're talking about a person and, and this person is signifying what repentance really looks like. I mean, if we want a picture of repentance, this is one of the best pictures of repentance that we are given. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So he realizes it's not even just against his father that he sinned. It's against heaven. He has defamed the name of God. He has put the reputation of all the people he was associated with before in a bad light. But he realizes it and he repents. And so verse 20, he follows through with what he's thinking, with what he's saying to himself. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And so, again, I want us to have this picture that the Pharisees and the scribes would have when they're hearing this. In their culture, a father would not do this and would not do this especially for a son who had said, I wish you were dead. A father would not normally act in this way. He would not lower himself to run. He would make other people run for him. And a father who has been betrayed in this way by his own son would not be looking for his son to come back, being ready to run and embrace him and kiss him. But this father is. And so the son begins his planned remarks. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, before the son can even finish his planned remarks, the father butts in and says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That's what's so interesting about this parable and the way that Luke gives it to us is that it does come after chapter 14. And the celebration that is meant to happen, the celebration in heaven that we see in the earlier parables, the celebration of this banquet, that this wedding feast, that we are invited to, that this invitation is open to each of us at, to celebrate with the Father, to celebrate with God over what He has done and what He continues to do. We are each given this invitation. And there is this celebration that is happening, this banquet that is happening. 
And so they begin to celebrate. But who is not yet at this banquet? Who has not yet come into the picture? And the answer is in verse 25, it's the older son. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Notice he's angry and refused to come in. Is the older brother invited to the banquet? Yes. Is he going to be at the banquet? Right now, the answer is no. He refuses to go in. He is not going to celebrate with heaven. He is not going to celebrate with God. He is not going to celebrate with his father who has received back this prodigal son. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. And so, not only do we have a father who went and ran and embraced and kissed the prodigal, the prodigal son who returned, but we have a father who comes out to the older brother as well. This we should see as Jesus being sent to Israel. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, even in our own parable, as Luke records it for us. This is Jesus coming to his people and saying, Look, you should care for the tax collectors and the sinners who come to hear me, who celebrate with me, who feast with me, who dine with me, who want to hear the good news of the gospel, who want to be a part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, I want you so badly also to be a part of the kingdom of God. He's saying, to this, he's saying this to the Pharisees and the scribes. And how are they going to respond? Verse 29 well, how this older son responds. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Notice how this older, how the older son describes his younger brother. He doesn't say, my younger brother has come back and you've treated him with all this grace and compassion. He says to his father, your son, look, these many years I have served you and, and I never disobeyed anything. Verse 30, but when this son of yours came, he doesn't want to have, he doesn't want to have anything to do with these other people. He doesn't care about this younger brother of his, the younger son of their father. It's no longer his brother, it's just some other guy. This was the exact attitude that the Pharisees and the scribes showed in verses 1 and 2 in Luke chapter 15. They did not care about the sinner's and the tax collectors. They said, we are better than they are. We should be given all of the good things. We deserve all of the good things. These other people, 
don't deserve your time. These other people don't deserve whatever good things you have to give. He says, look, look at all of the ways in which I have honored you and obeyed you. All of these years, I've done everything that you've asked of me. He says, look at what I deserve. And instead of asking for grace, instead of asking for forgiveness, instead of realizing that everything he has has been a gift in the first place and has been a grace all along, this older brother says, I deserve all these things. I've earned all these things. And I'm mad that I haven't been given the chance to do what I want to do when I wanted to do it. And the father continues to try and help this older brother to see his attitude and what's wrong with his perspective. And he gives him opportunity again and again to understand that. This is what Jesus is doing with these Pharisees and these scribes. Jesus, at least at the end of this, in many ways, is the father in the situation. And he is speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, the older brother, the ones who have, for a longer period of time maybe, been able to understand the things of God, who have been shown wisdom, who have been given God's word, who have been given opportunities to experience the goodness of God. And yet they've slowly turned away from this relationship. They've slowly seen themselves as being a people who deserve all that they have been given. So they miss the point. They miss the fact that heaven would rejoice if they were to repent, that that they themselves are sinners, and that they themselves have the need for grace. And when you see yourself as a sinner in need of grace, by default, you should then see others who are clearly sinners. You should be ready to show them grace in the same way that God has shown you grace. And so the the few questions that I want us to ask ourselves, as we are a people who have been involved in church for some time, as we are a people who seek to be a church who says, we know what's right, come listen to the gospel. A few questions that I want us to ask ourselves in being able to to test ourselves and to see whether or not in certain ways we have a tendency to become like the Pharisees and the scribes. Sort of the question, why do we not celebrate with heaven? Why do we not celebrate with the gracious Father sometimes? And what moments are presented to us when we say, I... Maybe I, maybe I haven't shown as much grace as I should have. 
And, and maybe these things are reasons why. Do, do we desire to be in the seat of judgment? Do we desire to be the ones who say, I know what's right and I know what's wrong, and I'm the final judge of whether or not you have done what is right or what is wrong? And maybe one of the ways to nuance that question of do we desire to be in the seat of judgment is do we doubt the genuineness of someone's repentance? Do we doubt the genuineness of someone's repentance? Does it require, do we require as a church, as individual believers, do we require that people through years maybe of service, do we require that they show us and prove to us that they actually are genuine in their repentance? I think in the immediate state, we should be a people, if someone says that they repent, that immediately we should celebrate with them and we should walk with them and make sure and help them to understand the commitment that they have made to follow Christ, to repent of their sins to follow after Him. We should walk alongside them because oftentimes we continue to fail and to stumble. But instead of saying, look, you failed and you stumbled, you never really repented in the first place, we recognize in our own lives that we need time to get through the issues that we have had ourselves and that they need time to begin to walk through the issues that they have had built up for years and years. And so immediately we should be a people who Rejoice with those who repent and not be so quick to judge them and whether or not they really have repented or not. Another question, does our pride cloud our compassion? Does our pride cloud our compassion? Are we too busy looking at how wonderful and how much grace we deserve to be ready to show grace and compassion to others. A huge question that this parable brings up, are we bitter and jealous that while we kept God's commands, others were allowed to indulge in the world and yet are still shown grace? Are we bitter and jealous that while we kept God's commands for all these years, others were allowed to indulge in the world and yet are still shown grace? Are we bitter Are we jealous? Do we see following after God as a burden? Do we see all of the laws and all the expectations that He puts on us as His creation? Do we see all of these things as burdens? And so when we are told that we have to follow all of these rules and all of these things and live in such a way as to please and honor Him, that we neglect to continue to see how much of a grace it is that we can know God in the first place and that we have been given His Word to know and understand what He requires of us as His creation, as His children. Do we fail to see that there is life in the midst of all of these commands? Do we fail to see God's Word as light? Do we fail to see God's Word as life? as our source of breath, as the good things that will give us the best things in this life? Are we bitter and jealous? 
that we've had to do all these things for all these years, and yet someone can come in after having lived in whatever way they wanted to, then are shown grace just like that. And which basically leads us to one of the final questions. Have we forgotten our own need for grace and forgiveness? Have we forgotten our own need for grace and forgiveness? This is the position that the Pharisees and scribes are clearly in. They have forgotten their own need for grace and forgiveness. They see themselves as having earned their position before God. But Jesus, time and time again, says, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But I am here to freely offer it. To show you grace and compassion, forgiveness. Will you accept it? Will you accept this invitation? And so this invitation And these parables is really not necessarily an invitation for the tax collectors and the sinners, the people who don't know God in the first place. This invitation is for us people who have grown up in religious circles, us people who have grown up in church, us people who have been in church for years. Will we be a people who truly understand the grace and forgiveness that we have been shown And then rejoice with those who receive it for themselves. I pray that we are a people marked by the sort of humility and repentance. That we have a total dependence on God in all of life. That we are unable and unwilling to do anything apart from God and from His will. I pray that we would be a people who share the story of Jesus the Son of God who came to seek and to save that which was lost. I pray that we are a people who rejoice when sinners repent. I pray that we are a people who are grateful for a gracious Heavenly Father. This is our prayer, and I pray that God would make it happen. Thanks for joining with us this morning. I pray that you have a wonderful Father's Day, and that as we have been given a picture of such a gracious Father, that we would seek after pleasing Him, because it is the best thing that we have in this life available to us. Enjoy your Father's Day. God bless.